0: We've been learning about Abraham, his name was Abram, and we're going to look at that today where we see a, a name change for him. He does a lot of traveling uh, in the story. Uh, he, he goes from uh, about the middle of the ancient east to uh, Israel, about 500 miles he travels. And I was just thinking of that, that I just got back from some traveling, and it it makes you extra grateful to be home. Uh, When you come to the place that you love, whether it's your house, uh, your church, or your land, that place is a significant place. So I am grateful to be back here today. Let me go ahead and say a quick prayer, and then we'll get started. Thank you, God, that uh, we are here and that we're here to worship you, to learn your word, to hear from you. I pray that you would speak to us. We need your Holy Spirit to, to be here in a special way, to make these words on this page real to our hearts and to apply them to our lives in a way that impacts us and that causes us to be a little bit more like Jesus after we leave here and as we go throughout our week. It's in his name we pray. Amen. So on this trip, I visited my hometown of Estes Park, Colorado. Has anyone ever been to Colorado? Just raise your hand. Okay, a couple people have been to Colorado. Has anyone been to Estes Park? Ah, good, good, okay. We can talk afterwards. It'll be fun to uh, to meet you. Uh, in my hometown of Estes Park, there is a store that I worked on for 10 summers called Miller's Indian Village, and I took this picture while I was home. Uh, it's an older store, as you can probably tell. It has like neon green lights from I think the 60s or 70s that they just rediscovered this year, and they turned them back on and had to fix them, and uh, they're actually really quite uh, eye-catching. I, I really enjoy them. The, the, the store itself, if you look closely at the picture, it has, the store has bars in the windows. That's their security system. <laughs> it'll keep you out or it'll keep you in, in my case, for 10 years. The store sells jewelry, it sells t-shirts, it sells toys, all sorts of toys, bow and arrows, ponies, everything. Now, I like going back to this store because my boss, my old boss, is still there, Tony. Uh, Her husband was there this trip. I got to say hi to him. And uh, afterwards, I got to say hi to another friend who had worked there for many, many years. And while I was at the store, I wanted to purchase a few things, and I picked up a T-shirt with the Colorado colors on it. So maybe you have seen the Colorado flag. It's blue, white, it has the, the sea and the sun in it, uh, I think it's red and yellow, I'm getting the colors wrong right now, but uh, it's a a beautiful beautiful, uh, color and a a design that I wanted to wear on a t-shirt in order to remind me of my home state, of Colorado, of my hometown, Estes Park to remind me of my family's love and my friend's love and just the relationships I have there that are important to me. And when I got up to, to check out, I had all these items, and I brought them up to my old boss, and I tried to pay for them. But then she said, no, like, they're, they're just all, they're all yours. It was a gift. And I, I was very surprised. I, I almost didn't know what to do with that because I had received something that I didn't deserve. And now, as I look at that t-shirt, I am reminded of a gift that I did not deserve that was given to me. A gift we don't deserve is what we call grace. Grace is receiving something that I have no claim on, that I have not worked for, that I have not earned, but someone has simply given to me. We all need grace. We all need grace given without conditions without it being earned. We all need unconditional love and acceptance. And we believe in a God who gives us unconditional grace. He gives us unconditional love. And we find that gift in the pages of the Bible, in the pages of God's Word. And then we need to remember this grace. We need to remember this unconditional grace that He's given us. And He gives us signs of Of grace. And tonight we're going to look at a sign in the Old Testament and we're going to look at a sign in the New Testament of God's unconditional grace. Now, like I said, this summer we've been studying the book of Genesis, which has many stories of many different people. Our series is called The Genesis of God's Greatness. It's really the beginning of God's relationship with people. And as we look at Genesis today, we're actually going to look at about two passages. We're going to look at Genesis chapter 15, so we're going to do a little bit of review from last week, from Pastor Terry, what he preached, and then we're going to look at Genesis 17. In Genesis 15, we find the message of God's unconditional grace given to any who would believe in him. We see that through the story of Abram. And then in Genesis chapter 17, we see a sign of that unconditional grace. We see a reminder A a beautiful picture of grace. See, God promises unconditional grace to those who believe. This is kind of a summary of Genesis chapter 15. God gave what we call a covenant to a man named Abram. Now, it was an unconditional covenant. It was something that Abram could not earn. Now, Terry joked to you last week that I am fresh out of seminary. It's been about three years now that I'm out of seminary, but I could probably talk for covenants for about 15 minutes. So that's what we're going to do. We're going to talk for, about covenants for about 15 uh, minutes, hopefully not that long. But I want you to at least understand what a covenant is, because a covenant is not something that we hear very often in our language today. It's not something we see on television or read about. And if you're laughing, you can tell me a story of a time that you did hear about a covenant question is, what is a covenant? And I have a, a definition for you, and I hope you can see it, but I'm going to read it. And it's kind of a complicated definition. This is a, a, a deep kind of theological, seminary, academic level definition. So just stick with me, and I'll try to explain it the best I can. A covenant is this. It's an elected family-like relationship of obligation under divine sanction. Now, we're going to all say that together five times as fast as we can. I'm just joking. Don't don't repeat after me. An elected family-like relationship of obligation under divine sanction. In the bulletin, there's a place that you can fill in this definition. So what does that mean? (laughs) Elected. Let's start there. That really means chosen. It means that they have decided, the two parties have decided to make this relationship, to make an agreement. In other words, it's not natural. It's not something you're born into. It's not uh, like a family relationship. I have three older brothers and an older sister. We have a relationship. We make agreements that are true to kind of who we are as a family. This is different than that. This is two parties, that aren't related, that don't have kind of the same DNA coming together and making a formal relationship. So someone uh, from either a different country or or someone you're not related to. So elected, entering in to a family type relationship. How about obligation? Here, I have a couple words that you can write down for elected to help define that for you. Next one, obligation. Well, what does that mean? It's a binding contract or promise. So many of you know what it's like to get into a binding relationship or contract or a promise. Maybe when you purchased your home, you signed a mortgage agreement, and now every month you are bound to pay your mortgage payments. My wife and I have that experience. I I know some people in here recently purchased a house. Congratulations. Uh, But now you have a contract that you have to meet. Maybe some of you have purchased a car recently. Well, that's a, a contract that you enter into if you purchased it on a loan, and you have to pay that loan. Maybe some of you do consulting or uh, writing professionally, and you enter into a publisher's contract or some sort of contract with a company to provide a service. Obligation simply means binding contracts or Promise. So this is a, a binding contract or promise that we enter into that isn't natural to you. It's not natural to me. It's not something that we would normally get into unless we decide to get into it, to pursue it, to make this agreement. But what about the last part of the definition? It says, an elected family-like relationship of obligation under divine sanction divine sanction. It means that God oversees the agreement. God oversees the agreement. God is a part of the contract. God is a part of the process. Now, at the end of June, right before vacation, I had the joy and the honor of officiating a wedding ceremony for a couple. I don't know if they're still on their honeymoon, but I hope they'll be back next week for Charlie and Becca. And one of the Elements of the ceremony that I like to do with a couple, and I try to explain to them beforehand, is a declaration of intent. So the the, the bride walks down, she is given away by her father. I let everyone sit, I introduce the wedding, and then I have them declare what their intention is today. And sometimes this declaration of intent is actually confused with the wedding vows, but they're different. Because the couple is still facing me, and I ask them a question, we we kind of decide beforehand what the declaration is, and they say, yes, I agree to that, or yes, we will. And pretty much what the declaration is, is they're speaking to God. I'm representing God, I'm, I'm here on behalf of God to marry them, and I want to know what their intention is, and they declare their intention, not just to me, not just to the witnesses, but to God himself. Because it's a wedding that invites God into the contract. It's a covenant wedding. It's a covenant marriage where God is there to make sure that it succeeds. He's a part of the process. So what is a covenant? It's an elected family-like relationship of obligation under divine sanction. And now, since we have gone through the pain and the turmoil of trying to define what a covenant is, I'm going to give you a much simpler definition. And I wish, you probably wish I'd just started with this. (laughs) A covenant is a promise where God is involved. A covenant is a promise where God is involved. So if someone ever asks you on the street, what is a covenant, you can tell them, a promise. It's a promise where God is involved. Now, the Cornerstone Congregational Church Leadership Team, we call it the church plant ministry team for now until we become our own institution, that we're going to have elders. Uh, our Cornerstone Leadership Team put together a covenant, a membership covenant, so that when we do become our own institution, we can get members. But those members have to agree to a covenant. In other words, they're covenanting together, they're promising to each other how they're going to live, how they're going to be a part of this congregation, how they're going to be a part of Cornerstone, and it includes things like submitting to the leadership, like giving of your time, giving of your money, coming faithfully to church, uh, submitting to our bylaws, things like that that are important for coming together as a community and working together on a shared mission to reach the lost and to worship God here in Westford. This covenant is made not just with a whole bunch of people, but with a whole bunch of people and God. And so that's a way that we're going to take something that is ancient and that is old and put it into practice here at Cornerstone Congregational Church. It's going to be an exciting time when we get to that stage. But in Genesis chapter 15, God gives a covenant, an unconditional promise to Abram. And what is it? Well, it actually begins in Genesis chapter 12. God promises Abram a place, a people, and a presence. This is also in your bulletin, so you can write these three Ps down to help you remember what God promises to a man named Abram. In Genesis chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, God promises these three things. I'm going to put the verse up on the screen uh, so that you can see it. I'm just going to read and kind of point out the places in this verse where God promises these three things. The Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. Well, what is God promising there? He's promising a place to Abram. He's promising a geographic place where he can live and raise his family and his descendants can live. And that's the ancient land of Canaan, which turns into the modern-day land of Israel. Number two, verse two, it says, I will make you into a great nation. And then if you skip to the end, it says, And all peoples on earth will be blessed through you. What is God promising here? He is promising a people. He's promising a great multitude of people, people from every tribe and every tongue and every nation, not just Jews, but also Gentiles, which is non-Jewish people. In other words, anyone can be a part of Abram's spiritual descendants. And we'll find out how you become a spiritual descendant of Abram or Abraham later in the message. And finally, it says, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. God is referring to a relationship between himself. I will do this, and I will do it on your behalf. What is God promising? He's promising a presence, that God himself is going to be with Abraham and those that trust him eventually here today with us, that God The same God that knew Abraham and Abraham worshipped is here today, that his presence comes. Now, Genesis chapter 12, it lays a foundation for the covenant. So this is kind of the beginning of the promise. And in Genesis chapter 15, God seals the deal. He kind of, he says, okay, I'm going to ratify this covenant. I'm going to make it official. But he does this Asking only one thing of Abram. See, this is an unconditional covenant. It's not something that he has to earn, something that he has to perform in order to achieve. But God does ask one thing. He wants to see Abraham believe in him. He wants to see faith. Genesis chapter 15 verse 6 says, Abram believed the Lord and he credited it to to him as righteousness. This is our foundation verse. This is good news. This is what we call gospel, that if you believe in God, God grants you his own holiness. He makes you righteous. He makes you pure, even though we live in a sin-stained, and stained, broken world, that you become different spiritually through God. See, righteousness is an undeserved gift that God gives us through faith. He calls us out of our sin and says, Here, have my holiness. All I ask is trust me, believe me, follow me, know me as I know you. Because of Abraham's faith, not his works, God grants grants him holiness. He grants him an undeserved gift. Now, at the end of Genesis chapter 15… Something really strange happens. If you look at verse 17 of chapter 15, it says, When the sun had set and darkness had fallen, a smoking firepot with a blazing torch appeared and passed between the pieces. So Abraham had divided some animal pieces. He had set them out kind of in a a column, a row, and then suddenly this smoking torch and this blaze, the smoking firepot and blazing torch comes down and passes between the pieces. It's really weird. It's really odd what's happening there. Well, in the ancient cultures, in the ancient, uh, kind of among the, the Hittites, there was this, this kind of covenant-making ceremony where a, a weaker king and perhaps a more powerful king would make an agreement. And the powerful king would come up with all the rules. He'd kind of come up with the contract, and he'd say, here are the things that you have to do. Here are the things you have to abide by. Oh, and if you don't abide by them, I'm going to make you like those torn-in-half animals. I'm going to utterly destroy you. And often the, the, the weaker king, the weaker country would have to walk through the pieces as a, as a symbol that if they disobeyed, if they broke the contract, that's what would happen to them. It's a gruesome picture. Now notice our story. Who's walking between... The, fire pot, the, 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 the animals that have been split in half. If you look at what is happening to Abraham, it says that he has fallen into a deep sleep. God has put him into a sleep. It's not Abraham that walks between the pieces, it's God. Because God is saying, it's up to me to keep the covenant. If this covenant is broken, I take the consequences, not you. In other words, you can trust in God's promises because God's promises are utterly dependent on someone who is perfect, who never blows it, who never never sins, who never does anything wrong. Everything is dependent on that person and not you and not me, not Abraham, all of us who are broken and sinners. God is saying, may what happened to these animals happen to me if this covenant is ever broken God gives an unconditional covenant of grace to Abram. Did you know that he offers a similar covenant to you and me? He offers us unconditional grace. See, God promises unconditional grace to those who believe in Jesus, in Jesus Christ, Maybe you know the story of Jesus towards the end of his ministry. The night before he was crucified, he took a meal called Passover, which he called the new covenant. He said, this cup is the new covenant in my blood, which is poured out for you. See, Jesus was saying this covenant is it's kind of like a fulfillment of Abram's covenant. Abram's covenant is the same covenant, but this one's kind of the, the, the end game, the, The the ultimate covenant. It's Abram's covenant was a shadow, but I am its reality. This is the covenant 2.0, but ultimately just the perfect covenant. And it's made possible through Jesus shedding his blood. We're going to return to that theme in a moment, but I want you to notice that all of the covenant promises made to Abram, made to Abraham, are fulfilled in Jesus Christ. Remember the three words? A place, a people, and a presence. Place, people, and a presence. Jesus comes, and he is the way, the truth, and the life, and he leads us to an everlasting home, to an everlasting promised land, to a place. He leads us to a people. He gathers people. It doesn't matter if you're from Peru or Morocco. It doesn't matter if you're from Australia or America. Wherever you are from, if you know Jesus, you're from the same country because your homeland is in heaven. Your homeland's with God. God promises a place, a people, but most importantly, God promises a presence through Jesus Christ. See, Jesus was born from a woman named Mary. She, he was conceived by the Holy Spirit. That, that means he was from God. He was born of God. He is God in the flesh. God somehow became a man. And not a man who sat on a throne and who pushed other people into the dirt. Not an evil dictator that tried to rule the world, but a man that came and washed other people's feet. A man that was a humble carpenter. A man that any one of us could fall in love with because he's good and he's holy Jesus is God in the flesh. And it's through Jesus that we can have a people, a place, and know God's presence, that we can come into God's very throne room, that we can access God and worship him. And just like Abraham had to believe to receive, this is what God calls us to do. He says, come, believe in my son, believe in Jesus Christ, believe in me, and I'll give you all of this, just like I granted Abram righteousness. The great themes of the Bible repeat themselves. John 3.16 really tells us this gospel message. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but receive eternal life. This is good news. Any one of us can receive eternal life through knowing Jesus. Any one of us can have that same righteousness that Abram got. If you feel dirty, if you feel guilty, if you feel shameful, and if you feel broken, if you are weighed down by sin, if you are overcome by how uh, imperfect you are, this is good news. This is hope. This is the day everything can change for you because Jesus can grant you a whole new life, a whole new start, a whole new holiness. Now, most of us aren't used to receiving any sort of gifts unconditionally. Maybe at Christmas or some other holiday, you receive gifts from your family members, but even then you kind of expect it and you're good throughout the year. That's what Santa Claus tells us, that if you're good, you'll get gifts Right? And so you act good and you, you hope to get your gifts, or you give a list and you kind of expect to get those things. But what God gave to Abraham was completely undeserved. And what God gives to us through Jesus Christ is completely undeserved. Most of us aren't used to receiving love this way. In the summer of 2013, I went on another vacation, and uh, I went to Croatia. Maybe some of you have been to, if you can raise your hand if you've been to Croatia. All right, no one's been to Croatia, so I will try to describe it to you. It is beautiful, it's lush and green, and on the coast it is like a desert region. It's, uh, It's a wonderful place, lots of interesting foods, lots of interesting things to see. And one of the interesting things to see is in the capital of Croatia called Zagreb. And there's this museum. It was the first of its kind, but it is a museum of broken relationships. It's called a museum of broken relationships. See, this place is where hurting people who had received broken love came and put items, put trinkets, wrote a little description of each to remember those people that had once loved them and didn't love them anymore. I brought some pictures for you to see for, of some of the things. Uh, you can find this on their website, but some of the things that are in this museum that I got to see. The Museum of Broken Relationships, there is a damaged garden dwarf, if we would call it a gnome, and it was thrown at a lover's windshield as they were driving away. <laughs> that's why it's damaged. At the museum, there is a small, box made of matches that a groom gave to his bride on their wedding day, and it had a very emotional, kind thing written, I believe, in it or something around it. And then 18 years later, he left for another woman. And so she put this in the museum as a way to remember that pain and that divorce, Thirdly, there is a shiny new axe. And before you get worried, (laughs) uh, this axe is used to splinter the furniture of an ex-lover one item per day. So pretty intense. (laughs) These are all signs of broken relationships, of broken love. We believe in a God who never breaks love, who never breaks His own grace, who said, I'll take the punishment before I'll let my promise be broken. There is not a museum in the world that could hold the, the, the beauty and the grace of God's love All the trinkets in this museum, they're signs of what we call conditional grace and that people loved each other for a time and then it was taken away. We need a different reminder. We need a different sign. And as we turn to Genesis chapter 17, we're going to see a sign of that unconditional grace, that unconditional love that God gave Abram. And it's going to point us forward to the New Testament to another sign that God gives you and me. See, God gives a sign of unconditional grace to every believer. The covenant sign given to Abram was circumcision. Covenant sign given to Abram was circumcision. Circumcision is the cutting off of the male foreskin. And God gives this to Abram, to Abraham, as we're about to see, as a sign to mark him as his own people. That Abraham belongs to God. Now, circumcision in many ancient cultures uh, was given to boys, young men, around the age of 13. And it was initiation right. I believe this is still true in some Arab countries that, uh, that you have to go through circumcision at an older age in order to prove that you're a man, to, or, in order to prove that you're strong, and that you can get married and, and reproduce. That's pretty scary. It's a a symbol of power, of fertility. But notice what God does. God takes this this symbol and he gives it to a man who is old, who is well beyond the years of bringing children into this world. He gives it to a man who is 99 years old. (laughs) Even on his best day would have trouble bringing a son into this world. And Sarah, his wife, is 90 years old. They can't reproduce. They can't have children. Their days of fertility are gone. But God gives Abram a sign of of youth, of of life, because God is going to give him a baby. God is going to give him a son named Isaac, and it's going to be from him and from his wife, not any other plan. It's going to be beautiful. It's going to be amazing. Genesis verse 15, chapter 17 says this, and says, Uh, no longer will you be called Abram, your name will be Abraham, for I will make you a father of many nations. So if you look at the original language, the name Abraham sounds like father of a multitude. Father of a multitude. See, God is illustrating a point with Abraham's name. He's saying, you're going to be great, and you're going to have great descendants. You're going to have many descendants, and it's all going to be a gift from me. I'm the one who changes your name. I'm the one who gives you a son. God, the God of the Old Testament, is a God who can bring life out of death. In other words, they had no power to bring life into this world, but God takes them and says, I'm going to make a great nation out of you so that you will always know that it is me and no one else. The sign of circumcision is a deeply personal reminder that God does it all. It's a sign of grace. You and I also need reminders of God's grace. We need signs in our life that God has done it all for us. Because we go through this life and it's it's easy to think, you know, maybe if I can just be a better person, maybe if I can just read my Bible more, if I can pray more, if I can be kinder, if I can open more Starbucks doors, if I can, uh, you know, pay for other people's tickets in the parking lot, maybe I can just earn my own goodness. Maybe God will just be pleased with me. Maybe God will be happy with me. See, we need a reminder of God's unconditional love for us. When I was at Indian Village several summers ago, I bought Monica a ring, a turquoise ring, uh, before we got married, before we were uh, engaged. It's just a way to say, hey, I love you. I care for you. And so when she would look at that ring throughout the years, and apparently it broke recently, uh, but it was a reminder that You know, I loved her, and it was a sweet reminder of, like, our dating years. God gives us a sign of his love for us as well. In the New Testament, he gives us two covenant signs. He gives us the Lord's Supper, communion, which we at Cornerstone celebrate the first Saturday of every month, take time to to remember Christ through the bread and, and the wine. And then he also gives us baptism, a second sign which I want us to think about today. See, the second covenant sign given to all who believe in Jesus is baptism. You can write that down. The new covenant, the covenant that Jesus brings, the promise, the grace, the love, the the salvation that Jesus has for us, it's not for just me or just you. It's for any ethnic group, any people, any who would believe in Jesus. And if anyone believes in Jesus, it doesn't matter where you're from, then you can receive this new sign, in your life you can receive a reminder of god's unconditional love and acceptance and grace of you god forgives you and he's making you whole he's making you new acts 238 tells us to get baptized it says peter replied repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of jesus christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you will receive the gift of the holy spirit Just like the Holy Spirit comes and stirs our heart and gives us faith, God gives us, in one sense, in one very real sense, baptism. Now, we tend to think about baptism as, well, it's my decision. I'm getting into the tub, or we do it at a lake. I'm getting into the lake. I'm being baptized, and that's certainly true. But it's also a gift. It's given by God to us so that there's a moment in your life where you remember, you know, I... I have died spiritually with Christ. I have been raised again with Jesus. That's what baptism symbolizes, going under the water, coming back up. I died with Jesus. I live with Jesus. And this is a gift we receive from God. It's a reminder of his unconditional love for us, his unconditional grace. God gives you baptism have you received this gift? Have you received this sign in your life? Every one of us who trusts in Jesus should get baptized at some point when you can understand who Jesus is and the message that he, that he taught. If you haven't yet been baptized, I want to repeat our our kind of special moment in the service. There's There's a baptism class after the service, and I would love to teach you about baptism. And just because you come to the class doesn't mean you're signing up to get baptized. It just means, hey, I'm interested in learning more. It's completely safe to come. But I encourage you to come. Check it out. The covenant sign given to Abraham was circumcision, and the one given to us is baptism. God gives this sign of his unconditional grace, his unconditional love as a reminder, a reminder that we're home in him, that we're we're loved. Now, God gives us these reminders, these signs, not to just make us feel good, not to just make us feel better, but actually to change us, to transform us. See, unconditional grace marks and transforms every believer I'm going to say that one more time because this is really the big idea of our message. Unconditional grace marks and transforms every believer. Genesis chapter 17 verses 1 and 2 tell us a little bit more about this sign of circumcision and and how these two things connect. When Abram was 99 years old, the Lord appeared to him and said, I am God Almighty. Walk before me faithfully and be blameless. Then I will make my covenant between me and you and will greatly increase your numbers. God says, walk before me faithfully. Be blameless. That's a command. Be perfect. Be innocent. Be complete, Abraham. Don't blow it, Abraham. Abraham. Don't disobey me because if you do, you'll lose it. Well, wait a second. Didn't God just give Abraham this unconditional promise of grace, of acceptance? God is seeming to tell Abram, now we can call him Abraham, that if you disobey, you won't receive the promised blessing. So how does chapter 15 and chapter 17 fit together? Is God replacing an unconditional message of grace with a new conditional message of of works that you have to... uh, You know, do all these things in order to earn God's pleasure? In order to earn God's love? No. Just like Genesis chapter 12 pointed towards Genesis 15 and then Genesis 17, Genesis chapter 17 is pointing to something much further down the line. God is pointing to a much deeper truth. God is pointing to the gospel. Gospel means good news. You should all know gospel means good news after today. See, God says, be blameless or be perfect, be faultless, be without defect. Who is like this? No one. No one's perfect, no one's spotless. God has actually given us this image of a spotless lamb. And what were spotless lambs used for in the Old Testament? They were used as sacrifices to pay the penalty for a short period of time for people's sins. See, we need a spotless sacrifice. We need a blameless person to come and pay the penalty for our disobedience, for our sin, for our brokenness. Who is blameless? Not one of us. But there is one person who is blameless, and that's Jesus Christ Jesus Christ. See, there, there is kind of this conditional sign of an unconditional covenant. But really, the condition that it's pointing towards is Jesus, that Jesus would one day come and pay the penalty for our sins. Jesus is that spotless lamb, He's that perfect sacrifice. So God is saying something very interesting. I learned this this week. In Genesis chapter 17, God is saying this. He is saying to Abram, if you are not blameless, if you're not perfect, if you don't always obey me, you will be cursed. You will be thrown out of my promise. You will be thrown out of my blessing. But if we back up two chapters to Genesis chapter 15, God says another message that helps us understand this difficult one. God says, I will take the curse if you break my covenant. He's saying, I love you no matter what. And I am going to take the curse. So all Abram has to do, all any of us have to do to deserve a curse is to sin, is to disobey God. And God says, I'll take that. I'll take that on my back. I'll take that curse on myself so that you don't have to experience it. See, Jesus Christ is the God who came to take the curse for us. In Galatians chapter 3, it says, cursed is anyone who is hung on a pole, anyone who is hung on a tree. Can you think of a tree that Jesus might have hung on? It's the cross. Jesus hung on a cross to symbolize that he has taken your curse, that God cursed Jesus, God cursed himself instead of cursing you. That actually feels really good. <laughs> I deserve to be cursed. I deserve to be punished, but God has taken it for me on a tree. You remember what circumcision is? Circumcision is a cutting off. It's a separation. Jesus, in one real sense, was circumcised for you. He was cut off from his father's love. He was forsaken by God for you, for you. For you. For you. And so that if you put your faith in him, you receive this grace. You just, you receive the love. You receive the forgiveness. Jesus died for you. See, in Jesus Christ, the worthless are made worthy. The blame, those that we should blame are, are made innocent. They're made blameless. Are you marked by grace? Unconditional grace marks and transforms every believer If you know Jesus, God has marked you. It's not like I have to go out and get my sign like Pokemon Go. You don't have to go and catch your sign. God has marked you spiritually, but you can get baptism, which is an outward symbol of an inward heart change. You can receive that as a gift. Our last baptism service was our very first baptism service. It was March 12th uh, this year. And you can find a video of our two first people to get baptized, Derek and Heather. And they had wonderful stories that shared how God had marked them with grace, how God has changed them. Heather and her family have gone through an incredibly tough uh, just struggles through life. She shared the story of one time a SWAT team being at her house for domestic violence. God took her out of that And has transformed her whole life, has given her a grace-filled life, has given her us, has given her friends, has given her peace. Our other baptism uh, was Derek. Derek grew up in a church that said, you have to obey God perfectly in order to please God. You have to be blameless first, and then God will love you. That's not the message we teach at, at Cornerstone. God loves you. He gives you his blamelessness, and you believe. What's your story? How has God marked you? If you've already been baptized, there's still an opportunity for you to say, you know, I've been marked by grace. We share faith stories. We didn't have one today. Hopefully, we're going to have one next week. Uh, And someone getting up here and saying, here's how God saved me. Here's how God changed me. Here's how God transformed me. They're really beautiful. I, I encourage you to come back. Unconditional grace marks and transforms every believer. Our vision at Cornerstone, we want to be the type of church where people are changed by Jesus. Our vision statement is a gospel-centered church, a good news-centered church that changes lives through sharing the message of Jesus Christ in word and in deed. And the part that I resonate with most about this the statement, or at least today that I resonate most, is that we want to, we want to see lives changed. We want to see your life changed and my life changed by Jesus Christ. One of the ways we see changed lives is through baptism. We want to see transformation. God takes blameworthy people and makes them blameless. This is the good news. This is the gospel. Unconditional grace marks and transforms every believer. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for this message. Thank you for your word. Would your grace change us? Pray for the offering. Help us to give as we are able, as you blessed us, Father. And would you take what we have to give and multiply it? Would you fully fund everything we're trying to do here? And would you be honored most of all? In Jesus' name, amen.